Hey guys, this is And The Writer Is with Ross Golan. I've written with hundreds of writers and artists over the years, and my favorite part of each session is the first hour when we catch up about life and the industry, politics, composition, whatever. If you ask me, songwriters are some of the most worldly and intelligent people I've ever come across. So this is a journey of learning why people write songs, how people write songs, and most importantly, who the people are who write the songs. I'm co-producing this with my friend Joe London, who's nominated for a Grammy this year. He records every interview and makes sure we sound like angels. So if you like what you hear, please rate us on iTunes or whatever your preferred podcast listening site is. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. In this episode, we have Sean Douglas. Sean just got nominated for Best New Country Song for Die a Happy Man, which he co-wrote with the artist Thomas Rhett and our producer, Joe London. He's had hits with Jason Derulo and Fifth Harmony and David Guetta, amongst many others. And that's his forte. I mean, I think people in the music industry tend to pigeonhole songwriters. So when a guy has a number one EDM song and a number one rhythmic song and then a number one country song, that says a lot about how this writer has navigated through the pitfalls of the music industry and how they've established themselves as somebody who can actually make songs that really transcend the genre. Sean is one of those guys who really exemplifies that. So I'm glad we have him as our guest today. As we usually do, we're going to go through a few people you need to know to understand this episode. There's Benetta, who's Julian Benetta, who's a great producer. He's executive produced One Direction. He's now executive producing Hey Violet, who's just about to have a breakout. Uh, there's J. Mike, who's signed to Dr. Luke. There's Jason Evigan, who we have an interview with in a couple weeks. There's Cara Diaguardi, who is one of the hosts of of American Idol. There's Mitch Allen, who's a co-writer of all of theirs. There's Jake Livingston, who is an A&R and used to work with Sean. There's Greg Wattenberg, an A&R guy. There's Katie Wolliver, an A&R girl at Warner Chapel. There's Julia Michaels, who's a prodigy who we've discussed in many episodes and has just released her first single, Issues, which is, I believe, number one on on today's hits for Spotify. And of course, we reference Max Martin and Dr. Luke and Benny Blanco and Stargate, which we reference in a lot of episodes because they're sort of part of the super producer class. Uh, if you don't know who they are by now, you'll get to know them throughout all of these episodes because everyone's sort of chasing their tales. Um, Benny Blanco, of course, we interview in the first episode. So if you're interested in that one, um, please go back and check that one out. And again, here's one last note. A lot of people have been asking if they can hear the songs from the writers that we're interviewing. Well, you can. We have a Spotify playlist if you look up And The Writer Is. And if you go to our website, andthewriteris.com, you'll see that list there. So you can follow along with the interview and play whatever songs we're talking about, and you can listen to it afterwards. It'll still be up. So there you go. Here is another episode of And The Writer Is. 
Welcome to And The Writer Is. I am your host, Ross Golan. Today's guest is one of the most diverse songwriters in the game. His lyrical wit is evident whether he's writing club bangers or country ballads. I don't know another writer who's as humble considering his mass success. From Los Angeles, California, this guy is not just a songwriter, but a song crafter. And the writer is who I want to be when I grow up, Sean Douglas. Yeah, that's a nice intro. That's what I do. I just butter you up. Yeah, and then just like all the uh, all the dirt just comes flowing out. That's right. Yeah, that's secrets. right. That's what I do. Well, um, why don't you put the mic closer to your face? Okay. All right. So I sound more more manly. There you go. Because no Easy. one's manlier. No. Than a couple guys around six feet. A couple guys in skinny jeans. <laughs> a couple guys in skinny jeans. Talk about feelings every single day. <laughs> <laughs> All day. <laughs> I had somebody once come into session and they were, um, uh, some girl was wearing something and someone, someone in the session said, uh, like, oh, that dress is, is like fuchsia. And some guy said that. <laughs> and she goes, I didn't know guys know fuchsia. And it's like you're walking into a room. Of guys who talk about crying yeah. regularly. Yeah, literally, who are professionally <laughs> yeah. sensitive. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, welcome. Thank you. It's so, good to be uh, here. you know, one of, the, one of the things I like to do is go back and try to figure out when I met somebody. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. And this is crazy. I got an email from Jake Livingston on October 27th, 2010. <laughs> okay. That sounds about right. <laughs> he says, How are you? Do you want to write with my guy, Sean Douglas, sometime? Sean has cuts with Katie Groves and, and, and Heiswa. And who? Heiswa? H-E-I-S-W-E. Universal <laughs> Motown. And no, was, that would be, first of all, that's great because uh, that's Jake like hustling and being like, well, I sent this to their A&R and he liked it, so I'm just going to call that a cut. I'm like, never I'm even... just going to like, because like, <laughs> I, no, I had no cut. I had Katie Groves, that was it. Right. Yeah. You had worked with... Tamar, who yeah. was on your school, I remember that. Right. And then, uh, you know, other writers like J. Mike, Wattenberg, Benetta, Tiesto, and yeah. more. Yeah. I like the and those more. Like, and more. He, uh, then those were like tracks by those guys that like sure. somebody had let me write over. It was funny because yeah. my response to him <laughs> is, does he have tracks he can send before we book anything? Reasonable. You know, like I didn't know. And, and not, you know, I didn't know uh, who you were. Not that I knew who I was at that point. Like I was still in the band. Sure. I didn't, you know, he sure. knew my band. and Right. You were still in the band. I think so. Uh, At 2010? But you were already doing... I think I was like, I was finishing... Oh, maybe that was like the very end. I think I played one more show probably around that. But you had cuts and stuff because I knew... I knew who you were. I knew that you were like this, that you were a guy, a man about I was a guy. Yeah. I was a guy Yeah, yeah. You were in the game. Right. Yeah. Well, then you sang a demo of mine. Oh, right. 3,000 Miles. That you did with John Levine. Yeah. That was a really good song. Yeah, it became an Emblem 3 flop. Yes, I remember. It was a, it was a, it was going to be a One Direction. No, it was going to be. Yeah, we went to, we went to the UK and recorded them on it. But I just remember him saying, you know, my friend Sean Douglas, you know, saying on this, I was like, oh, cool. I don't know why I didn't cut it, but I'm glad you did. (laughs) Yeah, sure. But like we had, so we had some weird like collaboration before we even knew each other. Some remote collaboration. But I kind of love that. That means that we've kind of known at least of each other for almost six years or something, five and a half years. Or yeah, something. well, I remember remember when Jake, it was when I cut that and before. I mean, I knew you as like this uh, guy who was like, I just felt like you represented sort of like 
actually, I said this to someone. I was like, Ross Golan is like, that's the guy that I'm like, that I, I want to like do what he does in that. Like, really? I'm not a, in that I'm not like a, I was like, he's out there. He's like getting cuts. He's a songwriter. I knew enough to know that you were like a, somehow like a top to bottom songwriter and that you weren't like some guy vibe, vibing over tracks. Nice. Uh, and that you, but you weren't a producer or a track guy. Right. And I was like, that seems like a prototype of like a thing, a basic role yeah. that I could, that I could be. Sick. Anyway. And then when he, I was cut- trying to write that about you. I was oh, like really? trying to figure out how do you describe somebody who's like, well, you're not a producer and a lot of guys that our writers are producers too. And it's like, you're not a top liner because you play instruments. Right. And you can actually write a 100% song if you wanted to. Right. Like, I try not and to you get do. precious about it when people like certain get, certain people get like thorny ones. They're like, I don't appreciate the term top liner. You know, right. but like, I don't, I don't like, it doesn't bother me, but I, right. but I do think of myself as like, I'm just a songwriter. Like, right. people used to be, you know, right. troubadour songwriters who would sure. sit down and write a song. Absolutely. But then someone can add uh lasers and uh you know 808s too well i was trying to find uh i was trying to find some burn down the mission records oh yeah um, i've hidden them far away well you still have a myspace deep in a bunker oh i do wow so be careful but anyway yeah. no i was looking i was trying to look it up and i was trying to figure out you know what that sounded like but i couldn't really get anything to play <laughs> so <laughs> what is what is you know you were in a band that was obviously something that you cared about yeah how long were you in that um well I, it kind of was like that was the last incarnation the last and most semi-professional incarnation of like a band that i had kind of been in with certain core members for since the beginning of college. So I like... Oh, so it's a Wash U band? Yeah. You, you went to Wash U in St. Louis. I right? went to Washington University in St. Louis, um, a lovely, wonderful place mm-hmm. um, filled with lovely, nice people. Um, but I went... So I'd been in this band in high school uh-huh. um, that was called Pseudo Band. It was not a... Okay. It was great, just yeah. like crappy... It was uh, called Pseudo Band, not was, Pseudo. It was no, called just pseudo, pseudo band. band. Yeah, that's pretty. That's clever. I guess. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's probably accurate too. Yeah, it's like very accurate. Right. Yeah, uh, more than we knew. Um, and uh, yeah, it was like just a garage band, whatever. But then the bass player from that was a good buddy of mine. We ended up going to watch you together, and we were like, uh, and I by by the end of high school, I'd become like obsessed with the sort of uh, uh, band scene, like the sort of indie pop thing that was happening in LA. Right. Uh, and I was like, dude, we go to college. We're going to start this band. It's going to be. So basically, like, I had like a mission at the beginning that like, I'm going to get this liberal arts education and have a nice collegial, collegiate experience um, that is hopefully also, also collegial and then uh, do the band thing. And like, and then by the end of that, like, see what was happening. So, so I had a, this band called Side Hatch. We added like this, these two guys. And then eventually changed to this thing called the Hatch later. That was like the same thing, but like switched out one guy and then right. switched out a couple of guys after college and went to New York and like was this thing called Burn Down the Mission. So um, Hatch became Burn Down the Mission. Yeah. So you were never going to stay in St. Louis. It was like a discussion right after because we liked St. Louis a lot and like uh, it was kind of a cool market because it's big enough that it like gets big bands coming through. Like they have to come through on tour, and we were just sort of like especially mostly being from L.A., uh, we were just like, this is, like, a small enough pond that maybe we could, like, focus our efforts here um, and, like, be the band, like, in town. Right. Which is, you know. And at that point, there are, uh, you probably graduate, like, 05 or something, right? Or yeah, 05, yeah. So then around then you actually had, there's still 
a place for regional bands to right. blow up because it's not as homogenized as it is now. So right. there is actually like a place for bands in 2005 yeah. to break out of a St. Louis. It's right. much like, harder to do that now. Like as I was saying that just now, I realized how like kind of antiquated that idea is, like that we would like own right. this like scene. Right. Like that even is like not even relevant to how a band does anything now, I right. don't think for the most part. Right. Um, but anyway, we didn't do that and we like, went to we kind of came home and regrouped in LA and then went to New York uh a little bit after that and did kind of a stint there for How four long years. did you live in New York? 4 years. Whoa. Yeah. I didn't know that. We went to we like got this like crazy loft in uh Bushwick uh-huh. in Brooklyn and it was the like, whole band. Yeah, the whole so you band. You guys are living your 20s. Yes, like in just dirt New York. bags. Yeah. That's the best. And Bushwick at the time like now it's I mean, the writing was on the wall about kind of how the gentrification was was coming just because you look around and there are enough like right. skinny, like malnourished uh, white guys right. uh, that you're like, I see what's happening here. Uh, but like, <laughs> but it was still early so we could still like get a right. loft for really cheap sure. and you could build a mountain. It was just this raw square space and like we built these crazy cubby holes in the corner right. to maximize room for like rehearsing and uh like uh recording you know and like did your neighbors just despise you or yeah, is it, yeah, yeah 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 but it was like enough of a like wild west sort of scene out there right. that that there was only so much they could do right. um so we built these these sort of four like it looked like if you looked at it head on it was like hollywood squares so it was like two guys on top right and two guys on bottom open yeah. face just like curtains sure. on, in the front rickety as hell did you guys communicate with like cans and a string (laughs) we communicated with whispers because you could hear everything you know right uh the women in our lives did not appreciate it right um um, that's crazy so um did you guys have a record deal no uh so then we made were you just playing like whatever new york clubs like cbgb's at the time and just doing the circuit just doing all that and then occasional like little like little runs that Uh we would kind of justify and like you know, to come to maybe LA. break even on and like, uh, yeah. You'd come to LA and you'd, cause some A&R guy who's, who works for an A&R guy was like, yo, you should come and Well, and eventually, play. yeah. So yeah. eventually, yeah, we would come to LA and we would do like shows and randomly, uh, to feel like we were important. And, but you know, at a certain point I was like, no, I have these batch of songs that like, I think sound for the first time, like they could be together. Like, so we recorded them as a record and the idea was make this record, that is finished and, and 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 produced and ready to go, and then just shop it as like, hey, record labels, like we're good, right. we're ready, we got the we got the album for you. You don't have to, all you got to do is pick us up and right. we'll hit the ground running. Every band's dream, right? Of course, sure. Uh, so we send it out to like everyone that we know in the music industry once we work on this thing for a while, um, and it was just like crickets, like nothing. Came Why? Out. I don't know. Do you listen to it? Have you listened to Burn Down the Mission since you've I've, been a successful? I haven't listened to it song. recently, but yeah. yeah, every now and again, like a track will come on shuffle. Yeah. Um, what? How do you? Because uh, I have so many emotions attached to previous projects. Yeah. Um, that tie up, you know, a lot, just all kinds of things. And mm-hmm. when I listen to it, it puts me in a place, usually of mass anxiety and yeah, frustration. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I still feel like I'm trying to get that record deal. Right. Yeah. yeah. I still <laughs> yeah. I feel like that now. I even, even though... had record deals and I like I was trying to or get noticed or somebody to like, you know. Yeah. Hit. I have a lot of anxiety about it. Uh like oh yeah, just the way my voice sounded and on it and like just ugh. Do you still want to do There's some good of... stuff in there and I don't want to write it write all of it off. We worked hard on it, but yeah. Well, did you ever get those songs cut? 
Have you ever tried uh, to get them no, cut by other people? No, there was not really. There was one that was kind of going to get cut, uh, and then I don't know. That kind of didn't happen. But yeah, yeah. It never really went that way. Uh, yeah, we always tried to write songs that no one else could cut. That's what made us, in theory, an artist. Right. You know, that no one else could do it. Right. But that put a a giant stamp on the catalog of, like, no one will cut your songs, you know? Beware. Yeah, right. Um, No, totally. Uh, Anyway, we got this email back from a guy, like, four weeks after kind of disseminating this album. uh, and, And it was this dude, and it was like, hey, it was Jake Livingston. And he was like... Oh, wow. And he was like, hey, I found your record... Here's yeah. who I've sent it to already. Here yeah. are my responses. Yeah. Uh, so-and-so likes it. Uh, so-and-so loves it. So-and-so doesn't care. Blah, blah, blah. And it was just like very yeah, kind of together and and amped up. Um, so he became, was he the man? And he was like, can I keep going? Yeah. And we were like, yeah, yeah. keep going. <laughs> so he kept going and then he drummed up this whole uh, interest and uh, we ended up kind of showcase you know one one label becomes interested and then all right. of a sudden like everyone wants to just right. it's the fomo thing and uh and so we showcase for everybody and then it kind of starts slowing down at a certain point where it was like eh, this isn't really gonna pan out right. or whatever deal might come out of it isn't gonna be like a really good one right um yeah but did you know that because i mean that was one of the things that we've mentioned because a lot of people that we've talked to have been in bands that you know you get this record deal and you right. split it five ways yeah and it's a hundred thousand dollars yeah and minus your manager's fee and everything else you walk away with right groceries for a third of a year totally but did you know that that's like the that that's the deal or at that point are you thinking you know if you get a record deal that's the stepping stone to serious money honestly i think we were we were wise enough to and had been around heard enough stories to know that like yeah like a lot of record deals are really crappy terms aren't great and especially you know for new bands and and the money goes like like that but i think we would have i probably would have taken i'm kind of putting like a a more professional sounding slant on it than it really was like uh like i probably would have taken whatever whatever. yeah just just because it would have more because we had been i felt like we were at the point of no return Mm -hmm. as far as music and i was like it's i've spent too much time doing this to do anything else sure and go back and start some other career path, which may or may not have been true. But and were some of these songs at that point on the album? Are you carrying songs from Pseudo Band through Hatch no. through like no, all these no, were new this songs, all new, stuff, this new this, material? Yeah. So you're growing as a writer in this process. Sure. Yeah. yeah. But still had not. So, so anyway, as this started to to wind down, uh, uh, Jake, I was like, or I said, like, will you just like keep me busy and put me in some writing sure. sessions? And then I started the kind of. That's when I also moved back to L.A. or was around the time that I was moving back to L.A. and uh, put me through the sort of blind date crazy Is that when you met – because he manages Mitch Allen. I don't know if he always did. Is that that how you met them for Heart Attack, for Demi? No, that was after like – it took took definitely a year – more than a year because I did a year of, of, of writing. I didn't meet those guys till later. He wasn't managing Mitch at the point at that okay. point. It's like two years after that, and um, and Katie Wallover put me in yeah. in that session. Yeah, um, Katie's great. She's awesome. Um, but that was like, yeah, I had already had like, I had already had the Katie Groves stuff that came out and kind of came and went. What it, I I mean, did you have a single? Yeah, I had a single. So it was like I had I had one real cut, and it was right. a single. God, so I, man, that's amazing. Yeah. It took me a lot of cuts to get to single. Well, so that was the other thing that I used to think about you because because I thought about you later as I started getting things. Like, I would get not a lot of cuts as far as volume, 
I would get very few. Yeah. But my first like three cuts were all singles. Yeah. Which was a weird thing. And Incredible. you were getting tons of cuts, but I was always yeah. like, I was like, Ross doesn't seem to have that many singles, but he's killing it. Like he's getting cuts. And I was just, Man. and clearly a, uh, a question of when the tipping point would come and it would, sure. you know. Julia, I think, had experienced a similar similar thing. Yeah, I think it's rare. I, I mean, to get most artists write their own uh, most artists write write their own material, or at least think they can. So they write as many as songs as they can, and for you to get the single, that means that it's a song that they can't write on their own. Sure. Otherwise, they're writing it. So to get album cuts is like is pretty rare, especially now because right. there aren't a lot of them. Right. So it makes sense for if you're getting outside songs for them to be focus tracks. Otherwise, they're just releasing their own material. Right. Otherwise, what's the point? Yeah. Yeah. So I, mean, I think it makes sense why some people are able to get singles right off the bat because you know sometimes whatever that artist is maybe that artist just writes all their own material but can't write a single you know i guess i mean yeah i think also there's just so much serendipity involved and 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 timing i mean that was like heart attack the way heart attack came about yeah was so crazy that that or it seemed crazy to me that when it finally happened and materialized and became a hit, it almost scared me more than it uh, relieved me because I was like, this has to happen. This is the crazy rigmarole that everyone needs to go through yeah. for something for, to get one hit, and we're supposed yeah. to have, like, a string of these. Yeah. Uh, and it turns out... It's so shocking, right? It's crazy. For the people who have seven hits, they've released 14 singles that year. Yeah. So the ratio, if you're if 5% of your songs are getting cut... Right. You know, they've had 14 singles and probably double that or triple that for cuts. You know, I mean, not really, but no, totally. if you're, if you're, for you to be the biggest songwriter in a year, you need four or five singles or something like that, yeah. that, that react. That react. And then so a bunch, you're going to have a bunch on top of that that really don't. That don't. Yeah. It's crazy. How, yeah. How not, Wait, so uh, how this, not up to you it is, you know? I mean, the realization of a guy in a band who realizes, oh, yeah, you can have singles. You know, you write with Katie. Yeah. And it becomes a, a single, and you have to be kind of shocked because here you are sending, you know, you've been in a band for four years at this point mm. in New York trying to get a record deal, and then you write it, one of your first, your first cut is a single, and it had to just, did it just immediately put the kibosh on, on, on your the band? banding? Yeah, because I think then, I was already, by the time that really came around, I was like, I think I was out already uh, of the band thing. Because even just the like the co-write thing kind of already put me in that mind space. Right. And there was a, uh, yeah, so I was already kind of, once I started doing that, like the first few sessions like that, and I was like, oh, we can write this yeah. for a girl, or we could write this like... Anybody. Yeah, I could yeah. write for... for for you know, uh, I think I wrote over one of these J Mike tracks early, and it was like the super R and B thing that I could never do. And I was like, "Song wasn't that nothing happened with the song," but I was like, "Oh my god, this is awesome!" I was like, "This is me," because that was always one of the big problems for the band thing was like I could never pick a thing. Like we had a country song on the record, right? We had you know, it's like it's hard to be an artist. Um, you have to choose it's really you, hard. You know, you have to choose to be an artist. You have to do a series of paintings and let it be that. Or yeah. you're, you're filming one movie and each song's a scene or whatever right. it is. Yeah. When you're an artist, you want to do. You want to be a writer when you're an artist. Yes. You know, and those are those are not the same thing. Not necessarily. Yeah. Yeah. So you kind of burn down, burn down the mission. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
And you go in, and at this point, uh, this is like 2010? This is 2010, yeah. Okay, so then Heart Attack is probably pretty close to that and becomes a top five song, right? I don't know when that was. Yeah, was that Heart 2000? Attack probably came out 2012. Um, yeah, and that was yeah, like three radio, which is like to me, it was, I mean, at the time it was just insane. Sure. Still yeah. is. I mean, still is. I would, quite a, yeah, I don't know why yeah. it sounded so jaded there. No, 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 but I mean, it is. Look. <laughs> And that's what's so crazy about it, though. I mean, that song still gets played. Yeah. It, you know, the, there are songs that went number one that don't get played as much as that song gets played yeah, now. It, it has is, longevity. It, yeah. And I wonder, is that, um, you know, is that because of how unusual that arrangement is? That would be nice if that were the case. I hope so. I mean, I, I really am actually proud of that song because I really like, um, A, it was uh, fun to write with those guys with, Jason and Mitch and and uh, Nikki Williams, and uh, but uh, oh, that's yeah, right. it's, it's, it was her single first. Right? Well, they or passed no? on it. Yeah. Oh, right. So the way it happened was we we wrote together. So I had a session with Mitch Allen. Right. This is how it was booked to me. Yeah. Uh, they, and I was like Mitch Allen, like because I knew that name and and uh, yeah, SR seventy one, and right. he had, yeah. had and he was having a bunch of cuts and had had hits. You know, he had the Bowling for Soup uh, hit, and. Um, and I was like, he works with Kara, you know, and, uh, so we went in and, and I, then, and then Jason was there with him and I didn't, I was like, at first I was very like put off, like, who's this guy? They didn't tell me this guy was right. going to be in the session. Um, very suspect. Yeah. See? Yeah. See what I did? Ah. <laughs> okay. Cool. Yes. Sorry. Uh, like semi-obscure production team wordplay. This <laughs> 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 is the most like inside baseball thing yeah, ever. Right. Um, but, um, but I love it. Yeah. Um, and it was supposed to be, with, yeah, it was with Nikki Williams. But right. then they 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 called and they were like, "Hey, Nikki um, is not feeling well. Right. Um, uh, she's not going to make it. But write something for her. Here's the general style." Right. And then we and none of you guys. I mean, Mitch Allen had had the Bowling for Soup song, but for the most part, as outside songs go, you know, none of you guys really had anything. No, like huge, huge, nothing things. like that. I guess 1985 was a really big song. I mean, yeah, that, yeah, that's uh, a big song. Yeah. So Mitch, yeah. Anyway, so Mitch aside, but you and Jason had had nothing. Had had nothing, had nothing. Nothing. Uh, yeah. So then, yeah, Jason had this start of a melody, and we started. We started an idea, and then all of a sudden they call and they go, "Okay, she's coming," uh, and we're like, "What?" And they're like, "Yeah, she's walking up." So all of a sudden, Nikki Williams walks in, and she's like, sunglasses on, hot mess, hot mess. Yeah, uh, and she's great. She would fully like. She would. Uh, she's a self-described hot mess. I think. Yeah. Um, um, and, but she comes in and she's like, oh, I'm so fucking hung over and just goes and like collapses in the, in, in the corner. Uh, and it's just like launches into this thing about, I can't even remember what the exact story was. The guy she was with the night before and one guy that she's like, kind of like toying with and not really, not really, uh, into and another guy that she, uh, is into, but keeps fucking it up with right. because, she, because she's so into him. And then obviously we, we write the song like that. Um, anyway, ended up not being her single. They passed on it, uh, because uh, her team are a bunch of criminal lunatics, uh, and, uh, wow. I'll keep that in. Um, <laughs> yeah. um, and, um, and, uh, they passed on it. Then Pia Toscano cut it a year later and I was like, oh, thank uh, God. Uh, and right. she was yeah. great voice. She sounded uh-huh. amazing on it. Yeah. Um, and then they dropped her, and then I was like, okay, it's done. I forgot right. about it. And then uh, somebody else, I think, was going to cut it along the way. And then I just got a call from Jason. was like, 
uh, dude, uh, Demi is recording it with us right now, and she uh, she wants to change this one line in the verse. Yeah. Uh, and I was like, yeah, I had no idea she was even cutting it. Anyway, it was great, and it came out. But it's just like yeah. such a windy path to anything coming out. And that was like, there was like a span of a, like a year and a half, you know, between when we wrote it. Do you think that that's, is that common for your records, to be cut by multiple artists? Uh, there have been a couple, yeah, recently there, there's more stuff like that, I think. Um, yeah. But uh, it sort of shows the value of a good song too. I mean that yeah. If you write a song that's good enough, there are, are a line of artists that would kill for it. Yeah, yeah. And so I always get a little bit uh, yeah. The ones that really react, you you tend to get people multiple parties interested. Right, um, right. And it's a weird balance of trying to find. You know, is this best for the song? Or is it best for the artist? And you know, you want an artist yeah. to cut it who's really passionate about it. You know, you sure. don't want you don't want an artist who just because they have a following doesn't mean it's going to be a big song. You know, right? Yeah, so, no, totally. Right. Uh, and it's so quite like who's the biggest, hottest artist, but does that song necessarily even like make make sense. sense for them? Right. It's yeah. weird when you have that control, but that's sort of the value of what you. Yeah, get. yeah. I'm always but, scared so, of those, those decisions. So, so you went from being, you know. Heart Attack for a guy in a band kind of makes sense. It's kind of a rock record. Totally. In, all, in so many ways, that's a rock record. Totally, yeah. And she was still, I mean, still to me, she kind of uh, is that, you know. She is, she is a very kind of rocky girl. Oh, yeah, yeah. She's, she's definitely fulfilling that lane. Yeah. But you as a writer go from that to a string of songs that are not, are not that. Like you went and did... Talk Dirty Wiggle, Hey yeah. Mama, these songs that are kind of urban in so many ways, and they're club records, and yeah. they're antithetical to everything <laughs> a guy on piano is supposed to be doing. Right. Every How do you, dude from like Brentwood uh, private school. It doesn't, make, it doesn't make any sense. I mean, I, I think I'm a diverse writer. I don't have that ability to write really organic club records and somehow when you do it you're doing it feels so organic how are you doing that you're not at a club i can't <laughs> i cannot see you in front of i've been there for bottle. research like with with pad and paper <laughs> yeah. just like nobody's giving you bottle service there's nobody like walking up to sean douglas with streamers or Bro, whatever you like you sparklers me, i got a whole alter ego yeah i'm sure you and yeah. and rachel are are waiting in line at <laughs> at whatever what voyeur i don't know yeah. <laughs> we don't even know what the club yeah i was just about to reference some of those like some club that probably is not as oh, in existence for sure that place is not in existence existence yep. but how do you do that how are you channeling this weird like 25 year old you know uh, urban like, voice? i guess because i've always been like kind of an r&b lean, leaning fan hip-hop r&b sure. uh stuff and i've just a genuine fan of it and like r kelly is like one of my favorite artists yeah. ever and um yeah and you know i love that that music so i try and do it like i don't ever want to i mean First of all, there's like like what you you said, kind of urban sounding. Like that's a good way to describe it because like I'm not going in there doing like really, really you know I'm not doing like future records. Right. Uh, you didn't do Post Malone. Right. Right. Yeah, much to my chagrin. But uh, yeah, right. Right. Um, but it's that kind of playful middle ground where sure. you can sort of mine some of that. It's the rhythmic phrasing and the like and right. the sort of like tongue in cheek, uh, like you know. Uh, 
provocative sort of wordplay stuff that that's sure. that's I, the part of it that I can draw on yeah. better. Not necessarily like the ultra authentic, you know, street shit is not me. I'm not doing that. But um, but yeah, my favorite thing is like a guy who can do a funny a song that's funny and not a joke. Yeah, yeah. That's that's that's. We were always, saying that the difference between clever and funny, right. is is huge. Yeah, like Randy Newman is like one of my favorite uh, right. songs. Randy Newman and like R. Kelly, like those guys. Yeah. Guys, although R. Kelly, certain songs, like I heard a couple on the new record that like you're, you're like that's close to a joke. But uh, I mean, they're not bad, but they're like just silly, way silly. Yeah. Um. Uh. Whereas other stuff is just funny but sick. You know, right. funny, but like, oh, that's still awesome. You know, where does that come from? Is that, you know, where did you learn to listen to? I'm assuming that you can throw in the Elvis Costellos and you can throw yeah, yeah. in the Tom Waits's and anybody who's you know, a witty lyricist. Was mm-hmm. that something that you've you've always grabbed onto, or was that something that you were tr- sort of trained? Did somebody push that kind of material on you? Because that takes effort. You mean the lyrical stuff? Yeah, that... to listen to lyrics takes a certain effort. Were you mm. listening to Biggie, uh, you know, and Tupac, or yeah. were you listening to... I was listening to... Yeah. I mean, everyone says I, I listen to everything, but um, I kind of do, yeah. uh, and did. And uh, yeah, I was really into... You know, I was into like all the like, but like mainstream hip hop, like not any, you know, Biggie and Tupac and stuff. And then like Beatles lyrics and like, I'm trying to think of what the really early, like lyrically kind of interesting stuff was that I was, that I was into, but it was always kind of the good stuff. I loved like, I loved the band, uh, and kind of a whole, I mean, that's like a more than concept records. They're like, that's like a concept band, you know, which I always thought was cool. Um, and like Tumbleweed Not Connection. Not the pseudo band, but the actual band. Yeah. <laughs> Tumbleweed Connection by Elton John is like one of my favorite records of all time, which is just this crazy thing with like this. Yeah, I mean, obviously Bernie Tobin wrote the lyrics, right. but uh uh, you know, a a Englishman, gay Englishman, piano player doing a concept record about like the American West. Yeah, uh, right, exactly. Is a crazy lyrical endeavor. Is that where Burn Down the Mission comes from? From yeah. Elton John? Yeah, there's that song, Burn Down the Mission, which is a great song. Yeah. And sounds like an emo band when you when you say it later. Like anything that sounds like a sentence or a fragment of a <laughs> yeah, sentence. Right. You know? Yeah. Sounds no super doubt. super emo. So you go from uh well, Talk Dirty becomes a massive hit. Yeah, I mean that was of crazy. all the songs that, that you've had, um that's an international yes. smash. Yes. So does that how does that change your life? In a in a way that before that, Heart Attack's a really big song, big artist. You've had cuts with big artists, but then talk, you know, yeah. Talk Dirty comes on and changes, changes, changes everything. everything. For sure. I mean, Heart Attack changed was a really significant change in that you didn't have to like, you didn't have to beg to get in rooms with certain right. artists or writers. Like, not like you could get in anywhere, but you could get in a lot of places yeah. that, you, that you couldn't before. And like A&Rs were, were taking note and it's just like... uh it was a good momentum to capitalize on. But so then I got in the room with Jason Derulo like one or two times. And then I had another one. uh, I know I think, I think I'd only been in once and it kind of went pretty well. Um, he was clearly like crazy talented, um, but had been working for a long time at the time, you know, he'd been kind of doing songs and even like to other writers, like I would be like, yeah, I'm doing Jason Drew. And I was really excited. Yeah, people were kind of yeah. like, people were like, yeah, yeah, he's been, they always yeah. say they're going to do something. They're probably never put something out. Right. Uh, 
and then uh, just one day I was going in and I asked Evgen to join because he was around and sure. he's great and fun and um, he came in and yeah they played the Talk Dirty beat and like I think I had heard that we had heard the Talk Dirty beat before and it seemed like cool but so crazy that sure. that that uh, we didn't really know what to do with it or we like tried some start of an idea and kind of aborted yeah and then we just like played it a few times we kept laughing like yeah. kept laughing when it when it came on because it was so absurd right uh and uh anyway and we're, we're in the the house of ricky reed uh right you know where who produced the track so wonderfully um and uh anyway yeah then we just started we're just like that's fun like let's just do it so we right. just messed around and wrote it and it was really that was the opposite of heart attack super fast you know right like by the end of the session you know how it is at, at yeah. apg i love it over there but guys come in at will you know they yeah, come yeah. in whenever they want to come other in people have on written track. on that track at that yeah. point yeah yeah um no i'm saying like anr is like we'll come in and check check oh, in sure. on what you're doing there's no like excuse us we're you know being artists and yeah there. um but i but by the end of the session like four guys like on the anr staff had come by like we heard about what you guys are doing sure and i was like oh okay this is what it feels like to have something that is really really going yeah you know? um that's pretty cool. So everyone there was pretty, they knew that there was something special. Yeah. But even then when it, you know, they went with Marry Me Second and and right. Talk Dirty is like an international song. And that's the reason why it went here was that because Cause it, went it so was big going so big internationally, right. they weren't going to go with it here. No. And then it ends up being like this smash because the rest of the world wanted it, which I guess in theory is what's going to happen with Get Ugly, right? <laughs> well, I mean, I mean you international mean in wa- yeah, international sure. really wanted it, you know. Yeah. So I, that's that's what drove the U.S. to totally. To play. That's that, yours too, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, that would be wonderful if that if that happened. Yeah. Um, you know, you you really never know. Um, but um, yeah. Talk, you, so so talk to, so whereas the heart attack opened certain doors. Heart attack. I mean, talk dirty was like blew everything up. Everything open. Yeah, and just made it... I mean, it wasn't like you didn't have the keys to the kingdom, but it just made it easy. Like, hey, I'd love to do this with so-and-so. Like, that could be arranged. Did you know that Spin Magazine put levels at number 11 for pop songs? Somebody told me that that the other day. That's cool. That song is one of those songs where, you know, the song stands on its own. Yeah. Previous to any artist. Yeah. And it could have gone to a number of people because it was so strong. I'm sure there were options. There, yeah, there were options for that one, yeah. What what happened to that versus... Because if I heard that as an, as an A&R ear, I'd be like, yeah, that's a, that's a hit. Like, yeah. Let's put whoever on it. Sure. You know, what, what's the difference? Because I'm sure there are songs that you've had that have been successful that mm-hmm. you're like, I don't know if I would have thought this was going to be as successful as... As oh, it turned yeah. out to be, and then you go to something like Levels, which I, I'm assuming you are sort of surprised because I think anyone who knows that song in the process is sort of surprised that it didn't top go. out top five, you know? Yeah, because it was so good. Yeah, that was that was weird. Do you um, know what what the why? Uh, you know, I, I've it's been discussed a, a lot. It, it's strange because it was so. No, I don't know why. The, the short answer is sure. I don't know why. I think that. Um, you could go out of, I mean, there was like research at a certain point, like the radio research, sure. uh, a couple, how, uh, you know this game better better than I do, but like the, 
a certain amount of weeks in, um, you know, where it didn't, they research a certain, they do call outs, you know, and they, yeah. and they call people at home, which still is amazing to me yeah. that that still happens. Right. Uh, I'm not even saying it's a bad practice. I just think it's crazy. It sounds yeah. like, like, uh, it's so archaic. It sounds like it's like the fifties. Yeah. yeah. Right. Uh, anyway. Yeah. They like, they're calling and there's like somebody in the apron opening the oven and pulling yeah. on a pie. Yeah, and exactly. the father answers, he's got a pop pocket protector. <laughs> he answers, he's got a comb over. Right. It's just like, right. Exactly. Hello. Yeah. You know, right. Douglas residence. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Pies are cooling on. Yeah. The you're right. 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 Yeah. Um, Milkman has just laughed. Yeah, right. Right. Um, uh, Yeah. So anyway, and I guess the research on this snippet of the song wasn't amazing. Like the whatever they were getting back was not amazing. But then it was, oh, they kind of used a strange snippet, which I don't know how you find a strange. I think if you're researching a song, why wouldn't you just play the chorus? Right. But um, um, so is the label then pissed at the people who do the research, or is it the label who does the research? Or is it the radio stations and then the, I mean. I don't know. I'm do bad you know with how it. Any Wait, of that I, all, honestly, I know like the way I just described it to you is yeah. about as much as I know about how right, that right. process works. I, so much of it is, you is have, a mystery to me. So you have, you know, right now you have a bunch of songs on the chart. Are you looking, are you constantly obsessing over chart positions? Do you check I, charts yeah. every day? Um, there was a period when I was really excited recently uh, where I, where I had three songs in three different formats uh, right. on the radio. And I was pumped about that because I was like, this is cool. This represents. Die Happy Man. Uh, Die Happy Man Levels was on Top 40 oh, and levels. Zero with and Chris zero. Brown was on Rhythmic. Right. And, was, and, and did fine at Rhythmic. It got to like eight or something. Um, uh, you can see I'm like still like kind of like trying to justify and be like, yeah, it did pretty well. Okay. Like, I feel yeah. okay about it. But like, I was excited because I was like, that's who I want to be as a songwriter, a guy who has. Top 40 song, a rhythmic song, and a country song. It's like, that's cool to me. If I can find a way to set myself apart from the from the masses of people trying to write For pop sure. songs, that'd be great. So, yeah, I checked a lot during that period. But, like, yeah. yeah I, and I, I still check. I'm checking with Die Heavy Man, which Joe London, who's in the room right now, uh, wrote with me and Thomas Rhett. Um Because that's doing really well. So I wish I would check less, to be honest. Right. Like, I don't check obsessively, but but... Like Hey Mama, which was a total surprise to sure. me, the David Guetta song. I didn't check at all because I was like traveling a ton over the summer, right? And I every time I'd come home, I'd hear it on the radio a little bit more, and I was like, oh, it was like a, this nice surprise, yeah. And then it just kind of kept going, kept going. Sure. Um, and I mean, the licenses on that song made it impossible not to hear. It. Yeah, I mean, really the radio was one thing, but that song was in. I remember, I think I texted you. I was, we went and saw some movie, and there were three previews, and two of them, the theme of right. the previews were Hey Mama. I was just surprised there wasn't any exclusivity. Yeah. That song yeah. was just like, it was like, and the credits, and for previews, I mean, it was like yeah. this, the movie's hinging on an identity, and two of the three are using the exact same song, and it yeah, sounded like it was a joke. Right, like, right, yeah. this, this is a parody. Right. You know. I know, it's crazy. I mean, I, and I'm very bad at gauging what's like a very syncopal song. Like, I, I would have thought, uh, I mean, Talk Dirty got a lot of stuff, but like, not nearly as much as I, I would have thought. Yeah. Um, and then Hey Mama just got a ton. And- yeah. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I don't know. I'm surprised. I, you know, this is your interview, not mine, but there's, uh, um, there's a song that I have that's the Andy Grammer song, Good to Be Alive. Which I love. Is, is licensed 10 times more than the Selena Gomez Sure. Um, yeah, you know. See that not makes... because not because the song's better or worse, and maybe there's, but it's just interesting that here's a song that's pushing, trying to get into the top forty of radio. Yeah, and you know, here's a song that's at the top of top forty, and the one that's at the top, it's it's a pop record, so it has to, you know, maybe it'll be a party scene or something like that right. in a movie, but nobody's. Nobody's choosing that, and it's also not that kind of lyric. But yeah, it's sort of a surprise. Well, Hey Mama ended up being the top of the. But the, the Andy Grammer one, yeah, that ended up doing that. But uh, the the Andy Grammer one makes actually makes sense to me because it's like the lyric is a positive, whereas same old love right. is is I mean yeah. Yeah, kind of negative. yeah negative yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, and it's it's like it's good to be alive right about now. That could be that could sell a car. That could sell a that could sure. sell coffee. That could sell right. a lot of things. Right. And that's really what it's all about. Just uh, yeah, advancing corporate America's agenda yeah. as, as far as possible, and you know sure. whatever whatever pennies they throw us in the process, yeah. we'll just. Do lap, you just finish lap it up. songs with artists where you say, "Do you ever catch yourself saying this will be this is really singable?" Yeah, but I yeah, I, I unfortunately I think I feel like I say that when I'm not sure that the song is like a hit, right? <laughs> like, super singable. Right, like always, always exactly. has like with that intonation. Well, because you want to, <laughs> like, you want like to still put just, it on the record because yeah, yeah, you know yeah. it's not a single. Yeah, 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 so right. you're like, man, they could. Man, this is going to be in every. Man. This is going to be in every wedding. Yeah, this could totally. You would sell a shitload of Kias with this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Totally. That's real. Um, okay, so then I know you. I want to go to Die a Happy Man, but before that, you had a single with Madonna. I did. I mean, that's cool. Huh? That's kind of an epic, like, thing to put on your Wikipedia. Ridiculous, <laughs> ridiculous. Uh, yeah. Did you meet? We you wrote it wor- with her. You wrote it with her. Yeah, she's a really good writer. Um, I mean, that's and that's a perfect example of like they were collecting sort of inspiration for her record, and she was. Yeah. They were like, "What songs are you into right now? We're going to put you in the room rooms with those writers." She was like, "That talk dirty record is cool," or whatever she said. So then you and Jason end up inevitably being intertwined. Because you guys have had We've multiple had two together. hits together. So yeah. then people then automatically just say, oh, let's get Sean and Jason together. Yes. Which and is convenient because you guys are actually friends. And, and we have well. a great vibe and he's the sweetest man on the yeah. planet and crazy talented. And, right. And it works out great. It would be terrible. Yeah. If I had a couple of hits with some, when he said asshole. works out great, I had an image of him like like pumping iron. <laughs> like you're like, dude, he's dude, he's really good, sweet man, very talented, works out great. You're like, what does that have anything to do? With? <laughs> great spotter, <laughs> yeah, great. oh man, dude, he can lift 150 pounds. Like, 
I don't know if that's a lot. <laughs> right. I don't know. I have no gauge. I'm, I have no gauge. Too long. Too long. Right? Like, you don't know what ben- what a lot to bench is. Right. right, right. Bench, bench is like 600 pounds. <laughs> what? Sure. Yeah. yeah. Could be anything. But. Um, that was funny. Um, yeah. So that's true. Yeah. And that's been wonderful. Um, and uh, anyway, so Madonna said that. They put us us in with uh, Evan Bogart, who's also the best, um, and uh, and we get there. And I'm, I've never been more nervous for for a session ever. And it's not even like I was a huge Madonna fan. I mean, I'm a fan of a very respectful right. fan of her, everything she's done, and some songs I think are incredible. Sure, but I'm I've never been more like shook up. And uh, I go in, and they're like, okay. Uh, Madonna's gonna be here in in three hours. Here's how this is work. This works. You guys start some ideas, right? And then she's gonna come in and check him out. She was like, start multiple ideas because she's really, really cutthroat perfect. and really just says no, and that's right. it, and move on to the next one. And yeah. she, and then she goes, we go, okay, should we demo it or 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 what? And then she goes, I said, have like have the idea ready to go on for like a demo playback. Uh, like a drum track, light, light drum track and sure. oh, vocal, whatever. Also be, sometimes, someday she wants to hear it on guitar, so be ready to play on guitar. And then someday she wants to hear it on piano. Uh, sure. So be ready to do that. Right. Uh, so she comes in and like we play this song to her. Like I wanted to hear it on drums. <laughs> yeah, Come yeah, on. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, she was like, where's the bassoon? Bring it out. Right. Um, uh, and uh, yeah, we just like th- three like well. So she's great. The thing that's intimidating about her is not her so much as it is like the team and the entourage. Right. Like right, you get a countdown before yeah. she comes in, and they say, like somebody sweeps through the room, or they say we'll give you a countdown so so she won't just like sneak up behind you. Um, and uh, and they're like also all of a sudden, great image. Yeah, so we work for a little <laughs> while. Yeah, uh-huh. um, and all of a sudden, like people sweep through the room. Yeah. team members that yeah. you didn't even know existed and they go M and 10 M and 10 and then like the lights are dimmed to like the perfect vibe dimness uh, the eucalyptus scented humidifiers start wafting from corners of the room yeah. the truly the greatest smelling candles on planet earth are lit right. like uh, everywhere throughout yeah. just amazing and all of a sudden you're like in this like vibe land uh, and then she comes through with like some handlers right. uh, and she's wonderful she says hi you can call me M. Yeah. What's up? And uh, yeah, she's great. And we wrote this song and and sang it to her like in unison. I mean, we wrote, we sang the, right. the chorus or whatever we had at that point. Sang it to her in unison. She was like, that's good. And then we wrote the rest of the song with her and she's a great writer. Like has very particular kind of sure. point of view and it was really fun. Crazy. Crazy. Not like a commercial success, but a good like. No, but there's a, a level thing, of a like, thing to have. how successful does a song have to be to feel like it was a success? Yeah. You know, like Wiggle is a success. Sure. It didn't go number one. It did not. Uh. But it's still a success. Yeah. You know, and in a lot of ways, Levels is a success. If you can get any song out at all, your iTunes is filled with songs that are not ever going to come out. Not you in particular, all songwriters. But no. yeah. So to have something actually come out, that's a success. And then to have a Madonna single, that's successful. Ridiculous. Yeah, no, things that I never would have uh, thought possible. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Um, okay, so then your biggest song is probably happening right now. 
Do you think that's yeah. true? That'd I do. Be, that'd be fucking cool. I think this is, you know, the last time a song, a uh, country record, this is uh, Thomas Rhett, mm. Die Happy Man. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the last time I saw a song chart like this on iTunes for this long, um, it was number one at Billboard for 17 weeks. Um, which, what, which song are we talking Girl about? Girl Crush. Oh, it was number one at Billboard for 17 weeks because of the influence it was having on on the rest of the industry. Right. And I know that that had some political ramifications, that song, mm-hmm. that, that Die Happy Man doesn't have. No, that has, yeah, Girl Crush has a good, like, paradigm-shifting sort of uh, yeah. thing to it, which is great. But Die Happy Man has the crossover ability that may, hopefully it'll have. But I, I think as far as, you know... Um, Talk, Talk Dirty is a big record. There are a lot of people on it. There's a big sample. It's a different thing than Die Happy Man, which has three writers. Yeah. Um, Thomas Rhett, you, and some other guy. Yeah, some, <laughs> some other schmo. I'm just kidding. Joe London, who's Joe sitting London. to my right. <laughs> but, very, very, very you know, handsome you, man. You, um, um, that, so- that song has the ability to be, you know, I don't know how seeing the reaction it's having. I don't mm. know how this isn't that kind of song that gets you every country award or nominated. Oh at wow, least. that's very like I think you'll yeah me. knock on wood, yeah. but you know you don't see songs reacting. You know, Cruise for Florida Georgia Line reacted like that on iTunes, and and Girl Crush reacted yeah. like that, and this did. I, I mean, I can't think of you know. Even automatic and some of these really big records yeah. in country yeah. didn't don't really react like that on a on a full commercial scale. Are you? What does it feel like in the middle of this? Are you able to enjoy that kind of success, or does it give you anxiety, wondering where it's going to go, or it, is it totally irrelevant um, in your daily life? Yeah, I have a few thoughts on it. First of all, uh, that's cool to hear that from you because I think that you you get the sort of overall landscape better than pretty much anyone because you have a foot, uh, you have obviously, you have country number ones and uh, and a foot in that world and also do, you know, you have something that's probably going to be a, uh, possibly going to be a number one soon in pop. Like, and you also know the business of those two sides better, I think better than I do. Um, so that's cool to hear. I mean, I don't know. I was just ha- thrilled to have. Okay, when when Joe and I were with with Thomas on the bus uh, writing the song, it was the first day, and started. You know, they started like ten in the morning. We were just like ro- bleary eyed, roll it, roll it out of the bunk. Um, but one of the conversations we had right off the bat was like, it's great writing. I mean, personally, I had been feeling like it's. Talk to I'm super proud of Talk Dirty as, yeah. as like as as sure. silly as it sounds and and yeah. and Wiggle and Hey Mom and like it's great yeah. um, and all those songs are wonderful but at a certain they're point they're not emotional in yeah, a way that, definitely and right. and and when you're and when you're you know dad is emailing your your aunts and uncles every day uh, about songs that are going on the charts at a certain point you want one to be like feel like not that those sure. feel like it might last for a little bit and feel yeah. like it might have an emotional somebody said some somebody said the uh, at a certain point like well what are your goals like what what do you want to do in the next you know couple of years and it, it was so weird to not have an answer for the question or take a second to have an answer for the question because I was like 
will like you're just chasing all you are thinking about is chasing hits all the uh, a right. lot or at least I am right uh, and I feel uh, kind of mercenary and cold saying that but I but it does sure uh, that's the kind of business you're in especially when you're not getting production fees and things like that yeah got to get hit um but at a certain point when does that like cease to be satisfying and I thought well why are you doing this and like you want something to last we're all we're all into the the, the idea, copyright versus the song. A copyright, right. an evergreen or whatever. I'm yeah. not saying this is that, uh, but it's but it is no, something. No, it feels like it's I, yeah. becoming that. It's certainly in that genre, you know. I mean, somebody said that they heard Compass on the radio this week, mm. and I was, I was surprised because I haven't heard it since it was on the charts. Uh-huh. It's not really like a copyright. It's uh-huh. a number one song in country, but it's not a copyright. Uh-huh. And I don't know how this song isn't going to be you know, some of those like Rascal Flat songs or some of those songs that continually get played five, ten years from now. It just right. feels like it's leaning towards that. Right. Well we said we we said we want to write something that could be a wedding song. And not sure. just like not just like a I mean nothing against these songs, but not like a song Not Marry Me or not uh Bruno Mars uh, you know, uh, what I think I wanna marry you. That's right. So yeah, we we went on to say, and if it's not ever evergreen, it's something something that weaves itself into the fabric of someone's actual emotional real life. Right. That like they might play at a wedding. Right. Uh, and it doesn't have to be everybody's wedding. It doesn't have to you know become some Stevie song. Right. Uh, but it could be mean something to a, a handful of people. So we did it, and it felt really good. And Thomas played it the next night at his show. Just demanded to. Yeah. He was like, I'm I'm doing it. We were, we were really nervous about. Never it. seen we, that before. No, no way. When you ever have that, that. never yeah. happens. And and we were like, I was like, oh. and all of my anxiety about like the whole reason yeah. I stopped performing and like got into writing was so yeah. I could like be in here, craft something until yeah. it's finished, and can't can't be fucked with. Sure. <laughs> can't yeah. go. You know, once it's mastered, you know, nothing's going out of tune or getting like you know. Right. Um, and uh, and I was just like, oh god, are you are you sure? And he went up and played it for like six thousand people, seven thousand people, uh, and it even like stumbled on certain parts, but it, and I freaked out but it, it didn't matter because right. like they didn't know the song and they right. and they were caught up in the moment yeah so anyway the the fact that it's doing well is like is awesome and yeah. it's so uh it's nice and gratifying it makes me want to write more stuff like that have you seen them have you actually seen videos of it being played at weddings i'm sure you have no but i did like start checking uh twitter when it came out and it was like amazing how for a song that doesn't yeah mention marriage at all right how much people we're saying like at Thomas Red, like yeah. my wife and I are getting married in in a month, yeah. and this is our wedding song. This is yeah. our first dance, yeah. And that was cool, of course. Especially as just like a guy like you who uh, just got married a little over a year yeah. ago. Yeah, for the, for the listeners, we got married on the same day, not to each other, but we, not to but each other. yeah, I mean it's cool. We're in California. Next time, no, I'll catch you on the second round. Right, right, right. If things don't work out with yeah. Rachel and Jackie, yeah. You're my girl. <laughs> <laughs> was that the dynamic that was going to happen? Yeah. yeah. So, um, I mean, do you, how do you stay, how do you stay humble with, right now you have at least two, three, one just entered top 50 at radio. So you have mm-hmm. three songs in top 50. Uh-huh. I might be off one. You might have four. No, I don't know. So you have, you have a, a, a bunch. How does that, how do you stay humble I mean, it's, like, it's pretty are easy. you not? I think it's pretty easy. Well, I yeah. mean, there's I, well, there's certainly a large ego component, almost that I think is almost necessary uh, for part of it. So, so on the one hand, it's very easy to stay humble because because there's so many people uh, 
who do it so well, who do, who, who, and I'm just talking about the craft of songwriting, songwriting. Uh, or pop, the craft of pop songwriting. Um, so people, so many people who do it so well and uh, with such success that it's like, you know, I'm just like in awe of those people, and I'm certainly, and I'm not on that uh, level. Um, but so you are. I'm not, I'm not on that level yet. Yeah, I'm in the game. That's very just, much. No, in the, but like, that's that's what's so crazy about it. And I don't think that. Um, I think if you're the, you know, there's there's the older generation, which I'll throw even like Benny in, who's still very accomplished, but has been for ten years. Yeah. You know, even though he's young. Right. But you know, you can say Luke, and you can say Max, Max and these Stargate, and some of these like one yeah. word things, and you already know who you're talking about in the songwriting game. Right. But. You have as many hits this year as the entire Luke Camp. Do you know what I mean? You have as many. I don't know. If si- that's true. You have as many singles. That, sure, and, singles. And you yeah, have any, and yeah. you have songs coming up. I mean, obviously, there's you know, Sugar was big, and they had they Enormous, had, you yeah. know they had the Rock City one or whatever yeah. it was. But the stuff that you're doing is is as competitive. And as strong, and I'm just saying, like you are at that level, sure. But maybe that, yeah. that's sort of the th- maybe that's what keeps you humble is that you don't really see that you're at that level. Yeah, I see that I'm at the level in that in that like I'm I'm playing in that same I'm playing that same game, and right. our songs are are uh, on the charts next to each other, or sure. or or, or sure. at least I I see them. Uh, yeah, I see them as they as they uh, rocket past me um, <laughs> uh, and wave. Yeah, um, but. Uh, uh, but yeah, no, totally. I'm like, I have uh, a, a healthy sort of uh, understanding of of how far I've come in the in the past five years, and yeah. and that it's based on hard work and and some talent. Right. But I also feel like I found, I also, I found this weird like lane of uh, of musician where like, where like I can play, but I don't play that well. I can I can sing, but I don't sing that well. And I found this I found this like weird assortment of skill set and i'm not saying this like uh self-deprecatingly well i am a little bit but but i'm saying it actually i'm sort of proud to have found this sort of cross-section of my of my talents that 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 works that works yeah in a professional music sense yeah 100 percent. yeah it's hard to do that yeah i think it is it took me a long time you know do you do you find yourself envious of other people's singles or cuts because i know that we're all competitive yeah we're all friends Um, (laughs) right exactly yeah totally right we're all friends and i think this is an and i don't you know i guess i don't have uh, a climate of songwriting to compare it to previous to this one but it does feel like there's a a very kind of lovey vibe amongst this sort of current yeah i mean for lack of a better word sort of like generation uh, yeah, generation, but or I was gonna say like upper middle class uh, kind of group of of, of songwriters. Sure. You know, the three of us yeah. in the room: uh, Ricky, you know, Jason, Julia, Lindy, Mitch, yeah, yeah. Ian, all those guys. Right. You know, um, and and assorted networks. Like, there's right. a good like everyone celebrating everyone kind of yeah. uh, vibe. Um, uh, like I'm looking up at the the start from infinity uh, plaque, you know, and all the songs that came out of that. And there's a nice communal sort of yeah. You root, you root it, for them. I mean, obviously you want your own success, but sure. I mean, you know, especially when you hear that there's the competition with a lot of these artists are with your friends. It's just is inevitable, and there it's are times, inevitable, yeah. there are times where it's you want your song to be picked over the other guy and. 
we've all submitted songs to the same project. So when you find out that one worked and yours didn't, you're thinking either why wasn't I in that session or why, you know, or, yeah. or like I should have a song like that. You're looking at your iTunes to see if you have that oh, song. Yeah, 100%. But of course you don't because that's not really how it works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? No, 100%. Um, and it's just the sort of the nature of, of, of how it is. But, uh, but yeah, I think it's always, it's always going to be like that to some degree. Um, yeah, I mean, I think one of the things that you've done that, that there are so few people who have that is that the, and, and I have the same, the same aspiration of having impactful songs in multiple genres allows you to have a career regardless of the success you're currently having. Yeah. You know, if you can have this base and you can have, you build this safety net and you build this social network that if you, if you're in a down period, there are multiple people that'll say, you wrote Talk Dirty, Die a Happy Man, you know, so you'll always have a space. Uh, I, yeah. I know, we know writers who can still say, you know, uh, Genie in a Bottle and still get in a room because you yes. have a copyright. You yes. have a name that you can say, I wrote Halo right. forever in the zeitgeist. Even if you had a giant dry spell for five, ten years, yeah, absolutely. you can still say, I wrote that. And there's going to be someone who's going to say, come on in. Of course. You know, yeah. and that's something that you're achieving, which is wow. pretty cool. Yeah. That's, uh, yeah. Or, uh, I mean, I don't know if I'm achieving that, but but that's cool. Um, and I think there is something to, like, it's cool to see that you're thinking that way as well. I think there's something to the diversity of songs or that hopefully as a writer i think you're you're often trying to insulate yourself i'm trying to like i might want to be doing this in 10 years like right. this right but i don't know what i'm going to want to do not? in 10 years <laughs> right of course um and i'd like to be able to do it for just cuz i literally right. like to do it like right dan wilson you know or, or jason and i were writing with dan wilson the yeah. other day and joe and i were writing with with, with dan wilson the other day the greatest guy ever yeah uh doesn't need to I would assume, uh, write another song write. for the rest of his right. life, uh, and does because he enjoys the craft of songwriting right. and, and is truly in, in love with it and does it at his leisure. You know, sure. I mean, he seems like he still works hard at it, but, but does it, he could blow off a week and do whatever he wanted to do. Right. Um, and it, so what I'm saying is it's nice to insulate yourself against the sort of, um, the, the frivolous or sorry, the sort of capricious nature of of the business and sure. and technology and all those things and have an, a broad array of things that says like yeah this guy's like a songwriter he's not like a guy who had a sound for for a minute i guess right. is, is where i'm going i mean on a personal front because i know you're you know the regardless of the success of music and whatnot you've gone through significant life issues you've had like familial issues and you've yeah. had to like grow as a person yeah. in a way that not everybody has had to go through, you know, does how much of that influences the decision on, you know, at least maybe does it have influence how you appreciate things going on? Does it make you want to do other things outside of music because of where you've come from yeah. as a human, you know? Uh, yeah, a bit. I mean, um, um, without getting, too much into it. My mom passed away the year that I uh, really started getting heavily into the the songwriting thing, and that was uh, I think partially I like needed something to really throw myself into after that happened. Um, and she'd always been like incredibly supportive about all kind of creative endeavors uh, that I had. But um, 
so I really like went headlong into the into the running around, writing a ton of songs, getting a ton of songs out of my system, and and uh, that was you know that I would say you know that was the, that was the worst year of my life. Uh, while I was sort of giving birth to what what became maybe not maybe it wasn't like as cleanly as it was almost this clean though it was like the worst year of my life followed not directly on its heels but like maybe maybe that became like a year and a half that kind of went better and then to followed maybe a year or two later by like the best year of my life like right. I got married all these things that and I was a very like uh as I'm like an only child and I you know had a very my was not like a spoiled kid but like was very comfortable and and kind of uh, uh, you know I'm Somewhat I, I, I certainly suffer from from some arrested development because sure. I was like uh, I just was I was always like I didn't uh, I just was that kid like I was always super shy and kind of like behind right. on things and as far as self awakening and 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 realization and 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 realizing certain goals and going going after them in certain ways so uh, but then when it did come it came like bang 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 like. Yeah. Uh, like even, you know, relationship stuff was like that too. And like, and so it was like first hit, uh, get married, uh, you know, buy a house. Like those things came all in one year. Right. And it was only a couple years after like just utter, you know, misery and, you know, heartbreak. And, uh, I don't know what, what analysis there is about that, but that was the way it happened. No, I mean, that says, I imagine that. I mean that, but that answers the question. I mean, these, it is, it's, it's hard, it's hard to pursue a career when everyone in in the world talks about how difficult the music industry is and how right. you know it's a pipe dream. Right. And you're like, no, this is a career choice, and I want to go and I want to pursue it. And something drives us to work every day, even though we know we might not get any, might not make a living. Maybe no one hears the song, and there's probably if it takes a life-changing event to say, no, I'm going all in on this, you know, whether it's to think about something else or whether it's, yeah, you know, or, or it's a, a realization that you only have a certain amount of time, you know, or whatever yeah. it is, you know, it takes something to make you go all in, Definitely. Uh, you know, Definitely. so that, that makes sense. And, yeah. And it's also really impressive. I mean, you have, you probably had the ability to say, I'm not going to do anything. <laughs> like at sure. one point, and you know, if you're saying from your childhood and whatnot, yeah, yeah. there's probably, you probably didn't need to have, find the motivation as a human, as you're saying, the arrested development from growing up out here. It's yeah. possible that you could have just said, you know what, um, I'm going to be in this band mm-hmm. forever. And be like this deadbeat guy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's. I guess. I don't, yeah. I don't know if, uh, if, if anyone would have, I think I would have gotten a, a pretty good kick in the ass. Yeah, uh, right. Eventually, but, but yeah, there. Right, right. You know, I know. Well, because of your know parents, because in, your parents obviously yeah. raised you well enough that sure. you know that you wouldn't wouldn't feel that way. But they could have they could have not raised you. Sure, well. Sure, I know people have similar similar backgrounds who yeah uh, have gone that way. You know. Sure. Um, so, but I was always sort of desperately afraid of of that. I didn't want to be that kind of. Like, Is that what drives you now? You think? Yeah, and I'd like to even. Uh, sort of it was yes having success in something particularly something that was not like hollywood or uh right. was really important um and i mean it's obviously entertainment like my parents were 
when people would ask if I wanted to be an actor when I was a kid, they would just like step in and answer for me and be like, no. Yeah. And they were not those type of parents. They were like, anything you want to do. Sure. And they would, if I Did had. Did you want to do? No, not at all. But if I had some, and maybe yeah. I was just influenced by them not wanting me to do sure. it. But no, I actually wanted to be a writer when I was a kid. I wanted to be like a poet and stuff. So uh-huh. something. that makes sense. You're sort of a yeah. poet now. So I wrote. I mean, yeah. you are a poet. Uh, the <laughs> poet know? of, uh, the poetry of Talk Dirty. Um, <laughs> it's like, yeah. It's like Ralph Waldo Emerson and then. Samuel, Samuel Toler, Taylor Col- Coleridge, not Ralph Waldo Emerson. He's not a poet. Um, I still got the gist. Thanks. Um, <laughs> I like once you sent me a text, you're like, well, it's not Hemingway or something like that. And <laughs> yeah. I was like, you wrote back in session. very good yeah. <laughs> Hemingway in prose. Yeah. yeah. And, the, and the session drew cold. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, the, and the writers and yeah. the writers drew blank, but we sweat through the pain. Uh-huh. And because <laughs> they saw that it was a great struggle. And yeah. Right. <laughs> Right. Well, uh, I mean, I, I feel like, uh, I feel like we should end with you playing your medley. Oh my God. If we can, I mean, we can always cut it till it's right. (laughs) Yeah. But you know, can you like, uh, like comp me and tune me and, uh, yeah, we'll comp you and tune you. My piano playing in time. But, but before we do that, you know, um, cause we'll, we'll go out when that's done. I think, um, if you're down, but, um, you know, I always feel like I'm watching most most writers. I'm I'm really envious of because mm. they have they either started when they were younger or they were in the you know they have a certain level of success or they just have found a stride or mm. they've done something. But I always find myself watching your career as because we have such similar stories. Yeah, that it's impossible not to watch it and and feel like. I'm either watching, you know, something. It, it, there's, there's no other writer I know of that I feel so connected with without being the same human. Yeah, likewise. <laughs> I mean, we kind of uh, talked about that before, but that's I, I've always thought that uh, about you. I mean, yeah, it's 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 strange. I mean, I, I, when did you, wait, how when did you come out here first? Well, I went to college out here. So right, I moved you went to USC, out. But, yeah, yeah. But I did moved you out. stay here right after school? Yeah, yeah. I never left. Oh, okay. But I had a record deal in basically in college. Right. So you know, how? By the way, how's everybody getting these fucking record deals? Well, everyone I work with is always like, "This is this is the joke of it." Here, here are two things. Here's not like you don't deserve a record. No, no, no. Deal. Clearly, you do. I, you know, I, 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 I had a, a shitty record company in college that I thought yeah. I was doing for my senior project. It was my internship. For my internship, I said, "Can I start a record company?" And uh-huh. they said, "Yes." And essentially, I started my own record company and figured it out, and just kept putting imprints on it. And, that was and I started Jive signing records, right? Well, totally, because well, that's the that's the emblematic thing. That is that is like the 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 dreams. It's just like if I can get a record deal, it's all down. It's all we, uphill. We can figure, then we've <laughs> right. got the whole apparatus sure. at our fingertips, and we can and we can do it. And now, know? when somebody says to you, you know, do you want to work with blank artists, and you say, well, I mean, do they have a record deal? Yeah, and so they it say, still actually sort of figures and, in, even and though they you still know, say yes, yeah. and you're still like. No, nah, I never heard of them. So yeah. it's not a priority. Sounds early. Yeah. Sounds early. Yeah. yeah. Like you're at that point. Yeah. And I'm thinking. Which, by the way, like, have you noticed that, that that it's early? Is Have we talked about this? Was you, you right. and I had this conversation about no. like how it's early is like the code for. It's never uh, going to happen. The, the, or, or like it sucks. Uh, which, 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 oh, that's oh, funny. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's really funny. Yeah. Yeah. Really, uh, yeah it was awesome. Yeah. Uh, and. Like yeah, you just say, hey, really funny. have you been in with so and so? They're asking about sessions, sessions for them, <laughs> and, then right. they, and they go, well, it's a little yeah, early. they go, uh, how is it? They go, it's early. Yeah, <laughs> you go, yeah. just like a little wink. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's funny. Um, but don't you feel like 
uh, see, I feel like delusion is one of the most, is, is very important, uh, which is strange because on the one hand, when you see people who you think are like delusional, like certain actors you'll talk to or doing stuff and you're like, Ooh, that's dark, you know, like whatever gig they're going out for the next day. Sure. Um, uh, and you're like, dude, this dude is so far from, from the thing he thinks he's, he's going for. And then you, but that's how, that's how it was. And it, so I guess what I'm saying is there are certain times when you, where you'd be like, oh man, somebody should, would be doing, uh, someone a favor by waking them up and being like, dude, yeah, you're yeah. so far. Yeah. It's not going to happen. Like, so far. Uh, but I, but you never do because delusion is, is important. It, it's the carrot that, that keeps you going. So when you see, or you could call it hope. Hope. No, but I, think, <laughs> I mean, it's sort but of irrational. Bit. Right. Exactly. Which I guess yes. is what hope is. Delusions uh, of grandeur. Certain, in a way. certain faith. But yeah, it's, when you see your, your goal yeah. and you're like, I can, that's, I can get there in a year. And then you get to that and you're like, you realize like it was an oasis yeah. and the real thing right. is, is a whole other year. Right. And then it's that gradual thing that youth affords you. Sure. Um, yeah. That you just keep chasing and chasing and chasing and you get these little milestones that once you get them where you realize like aren't, aren't getting you what you need. Sure. Uh, so what is it for you? I mean, for me, it was it was like I wanted that. I wanted to have a hit, you know, in multiple genres. I wanted to have. But what was it for you? Certain amount of but charts. What was it for, you were just doing band thing. You were like, "This is going to be my thing." Well, I wanted to get a record deal, right? And, and then yeah. I wanted to go, and and that happened. And then uh, um, it was a terrible time in the industry too. Mm-hmm. I think you know, two thousand four through two thousand nine, when. No one knows how to monetize. iTunes still hadn't even been out yet. Right. You know, it was like that came out basically a year into the process. Right, so and they're just slashing they're, stuff. Everywhere. Yeah, and, and yeah. it's disorganized, and they don't really know exactly what it is. And, mm. um, you know, at least I could buy my album in a Virgin Megastore, and that was cool. Super you cool, know? yeah. Because um, that's what I really wanted to do. I wanted to walk into a record store. I still go and buy yeah. every CD I have a song on. Right. I always go to Target or to Amoeba or something and buy it. That's awesome. Because to me, that was my goal, was to walk into a record store and buy my music. Yeah. And I'm still achieving it. So I, I have a lot of albums I've never listened to because I don't even have a CD player. Right. Like my computer doesn't have a CD thing That's awesome. anymore. But I own the You can CDs. probably buy them on vinyl now. They're making everything on vinyl. Yeah, sure. Yeah. I did that with Evigan the other day. We were on a break uh, from, from a song, and he was like, he's got some record store around the corner. He's like, dude. He said, it was like when the, when the Madonna thing had just come out. He was like, let's go in and buy all the records that we have, like the new records that we have, that we have songs he on. He should. He bought like seven. I bought like, yeah. you know. You drop a hundred bucks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know where to go from here. I mean, I've signed an artist or signed an artist. I signed a writer. Yeah. I feel like I'm moving towards um, building out, but hopefully not too fast so I can mm. still be a writer. Mm. And, but uh, you're building out, you're that. inspiring because you're building out in other uh, forms of writing, other forms of music. I mean, you know. Um, well, I, I think there's a pedi- was, oh, right. was was fantastic, sure. and like you can do more. I, I want to find my version of uh, of that of uh, not necessarily musical, but but some other type of writing that's that's not necessarily music. Some other creative sort of project. You know, well, we should. We, I know we've talked about someday starting a musical. We we absolutely we should. <laughs> should do it. But it, like you said, you know, people are like, oh, we should do a musical, and they don't realize that it takes. 15 you know, years. Yeah, 15 yeah. years to do. So when you're like, let's go in on this, this is not like a this yeah. thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's um, like a, a serious endeavor. Yeah. But I do think there's a pedagogical aspect to what we are doing here. 
and you can go and uh, you can go and speak at universities. You can help future writers. You can help future artists understand this process so mm-hmm. they don't make the same idiot mistakes that we made. Yeah. I mean, that's the evolution of anything and certainly is of the music industry. Definitely. So, I mean, I, I think I, that's the aspiration is to actually do something that matters yeah. to to the industry that has afforded me the life that I have. Oh, that's nice. I think, yeah, that's good. Like, you have good sort of music industry, like, stewardship uh, goals, which I think, I think is great because I would have, like, killed for... Like, if there were podcasts like this when I was starting to write, yeah. oh, my God, it would have meant everything. Because yeah. music will always be the Wild West right. as far as media is concerned. Right. It will be the always, I think, the most lawless and the most, like, in good ways and bad ways. Uh, right. And people will get super gangster on someone and threaten right. them uh, for publishing. Right. Have that happen. Um, and then... Uh, but also will be, like, someone will just say, I am this, and they will be that because they said right. that they were. And that can lead to a lot of bullshit and can also lead to, like, great, you know, marvelous careers sure. uh, by self-made people and, you know, uh, you know, your Jay-Zs and all those, you know, people come, come right. from that. Um, so, uh, anyway, it's good. I think it's, it's, it's necessary. We need more people I mean, pushing the conversation forward. Well, on that note, thank you. Oh, thanks for having me, man. <laughs> thanks for listening to this episode of And The Writer Is... If you want to hear music from this songwriter I just interviewed, be sure to check out our Spotify playlist or visit our website at andthewriteris.com. If you like what we're doing, please subscribe to us on iTunes. You can also like us on Facebook and Twitter. And the Writer Is is produced by Joe London, edited by Miles Bergsma, and published by Big Deal Music. A special thanks to Jeff Sparger, David Silberstein from Mega House Music, and Michael White. Until next time, this is Ross Golan. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.